What's up, Buttercup? You here for chapter 10? You expect me to read it to you? All right, I'll read it to you. Chapter 10 of Your User's Manual. We're continuing with the free audiobook reading. If you want something a little bit more professional than this crap nonsense I'm putting out for season five, Jason Zenobi did a much better job on Audible. But I'm not telling you to go buy it. Uh, Wisdom is in the domain of everybody. All my stuff is free. This is a free version of the better version of the audio, but you get what I'm trying to say, guys. If you want it, it's there. Otherwise, let's get right into the book. Chapter 10, who am I? Do the following mental exercise. Theseus, the mythical king and founder hero of Athens, had a ship. The ship of Theseus was known far and wide for its use in battle by the great hero. When Theseus passed away, the townspeople decided to maintain the ship. And so one day, when a plank was seen to be old, aged, and warped, it was replaced. The new plank emulated the old one exactly in every way. But the ship no longer had all its original parts it used in battle by Theseus. Is this still the ship of Theseus? Think about that for a second. Only one plank is replaced, and the plank is exactly the way the last plank was. It could be considered repair and maintenance, right? It's still the ship of Theseus. Anyways, back to the book. (laughs) Time goes by, and now a few dozen planks and ropes have been replaced. Mm. Is it still the ship of Theseus? Some of you will say yes. A few of you might say no, but it could still be considered a lot of repair and maintenance, right? Okay, more time goes by. Now, most of the old planks and ropes have been replaced along with the sail. Is it still the ship of Theseus at this point? Now, eventually, all of the original parts of the ship get replaced. Recall that each plank and rope and sail was perfectly replicated and replaced in the exact same way as the original ship, so as to maintain the pristine ship for posterity. At this point still, is it the ship of Theseus? Now, imagine this whole time that someone had been gathering the old pieces as they were being removed and reassembled the entire ship with these old pieces on land. It's on land as it cannot possibly float with its aged and warped lumber, right? However, this ship assembled on land not only has the pieces assembled in the original way, but actually has the original parts. So, is this the ship of Theseus? Is it the other new one in the harbor that perfectly replicates the original but also still floats so it is a ship? Are there two ships of Theseus, or are there none? So, who are you? As you age from infancy and grow, then grow old and shrink, your body changes. Which body are you? If you get a pacemaker, have laser eye surgery, or have an ear implant to hear better, are you still you? If you tragically lose both legs in a car accident, and your legs are amputated, are you half you? These questions inevitably point to the undeniable truth that you, the real you, must necessarily be independent of your body, as no matter what happens to your body, you remain you. Therefore, you must be the only thing that remains independent of your physical body, yet is still part of it, or rather, within it, your thoughts and your consciousness. You are what lives inside your brain that sees the world from within. 
This is an important distinction, given that if your body is independent from you, then no matter what is happening to your body, the real you can still be tranquil. This is how the Dalai Lama remains tranquil when he is violently ill. The pain and illness shall pass, but he will not use this external factor to harness sadness and anxiety, as this would be his own doing. And why would he willingly make an uncomfortable situation, i.e. physical discomfort from being ill, worse by making his mind also ill? Quote, how does it help to make troubles heavier by bemoaning them? End quote. Lucius Aeneas Seneca. In a similar fashion, the Stoic who is being tortured will remain tranquil. Even though his body is in pain, the pain of the torture does not prevent him from remaining virtuous and rational. His body may be in pain, but the real him, his rational ordinary mind, remains untouched and therefore remains rational and virtuous. Quote, Nevertheless, there have been men who have not uttered a moan amid these tortures. More yet, says the torturer, but the victim has not begged for release. More yet, he says again, but no answer has come. More yet, the victim has smiled and heartily too. Can you not bring yourself after an example like this to make a mock at pain? End quote. Lucius Aeneas Seneca. Your body is an external factor to the real you, and no external factor should affect you as it is not part of you. Once again, it is your judgment of the event, not the event itself, that determines how you act and react. Can you hear that? Scratchy noises. And your judgment, as your rational, ordinary mind knows, should remain rational. If you react negatively or in anger, your eye-for-an-eye mentality is your own doing. It is not someone else's fault, nor does the universe or your reality where you are not in pain and suffering. Amar Fadi, go with the way things are. Quote, It follows that the only evil or trouble there can be for us resides in our own judgment. That is to say, in the way we represent things to ourselves and that people are the authors of their own problems. Everything, therefore, is a matter of judgment. The intellect is independent of the body, and the things do not come inside us in order to trouble us. If everything is a matter of judgment, every fault is, in fact, a false judgment and proceeds from ignorance. End quote. Marcus Aurelius. And if I can add to the end of that quote is... A false judgment and proceeds from your ignorance. Everything that is bad in the world is your fault or my fault. It's the subject's fault. The world doesn't do anything wrong. It's always the subject's perception. You ask yourself, but if someone or fate itself is doing something bad to me, do I not have the right to be upset? Do you? Should any event justify you not being what your rational, ordinary mind wants to be, which is tranquil? And what is good? What is bad? Can an event be bad? Only if we consider an alternative reality in which said event never occurred. This, you know, is not an option. There is only the current reality. Therefore, the event is not a bad event. It just is. 
And the same goes for a good event. When fate brings you something good, you should not be ecstatic or elated or proud. The event is not a good event. It just is. And therefore should not change you and the way you want to be, which is tranquil. The Stoic, therefore, knows external events cannot be good or bad any more than they can be fair or unfair. Therefore, good and bad can only be derived from the things that are dependent on you and under your control. And what is under your control? Only your judgments. Your judgments, choices, and your assent to the will of the universe depends on you. Everything else depends on the universe and fate. We're flying through this one now, already at chapter 11, Love Thy Neighbor. This one doesn't have any fun chapter names. I think my third book has uh, Everybody Poops. That's a fun one. The second one also has a fun chapter. I don't know. Anyways, crunching through here. Thank you for taking this journey with me. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, we will continue reading these, and I will continue answering your questions, and I will continue rooting for you, my beautiful, beautiful friends. Some of you who ham, whom ham, 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 whom ham, ham. And ham 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 ham. So with that, I ham 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 ham. Talk to you next time.